Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Our scripture reading comes from the New Testament Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, and it may be found on page 779 of your pew Bible if you would like to follow along. To help set the text a bit, Earlier in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus had just been baptized by his cousin John and claimed as God's son by a voice from heaven. In the first part of chapter 4, Jesus declined the devil's tempting in the desert. And in chapter 4, verse 12, where we begin, Jesus hears of John the Baptist's arrest, and his response is to immediately withdraw to Galilee. Like his cousin before him, Jesus preaches the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He moves quickly to invite the first disciples to join him. They leave their families, livelihoods, and join Jesus for little in return. As fishers of men, they're invited to take part, not coerced or forced into something like perhaps in contrast the Roman military, but they're inspired to participate in this movement. Let's turn to our text together, Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the lake, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, land of Zebulun and Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news and king of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. Friends, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before our daughter was born, I remember dreaming 
about the sound of her voice. I believed what I'd read, that a baby in utero can hear the voice of its mother before he or she is ever born. She had heard my voice, but I had never heard her voice before. And I wondered and dreamed what it might sound like. As a newborn when she cried, as a baby when she started to laugh, as a toddler when she began to sound out new words and phrases. It is a precious gift to be able to hear and recognize the voice of someone you love. We miss the voices of those who aren't with us anymore, though sometimes the ways they said our name or turned a phrase still return to us now and again. Presbyterian pastor Roger Nishioka shares that as a child, his family would sit together on Sunday nights in front of the TV, and they had this tradition of eating their dinner while watching the nature program, Wild Kingdom. One particular episode focused on the elephant seals of Argentina, and in particular, on a mother and her seal pup who had just been born. Soon after giving birth, the mother seal, now famished, abandoned the pup on the beach so she could go feed in the waters. After feeding, she returned to a different spot on this wide, expansive shore and began to call out for her newborn baby. Other mothers had done the same and returned around the same time. There were so many seals that to young Roger, it looked like they were all the same. He remembers thinking this mother and her pup would never find each other. The camera followed the mother as she called for her pup and listened for his response. Call and response, call and response, following each other's voices. Eventually, the mother and the pup were reunited. Interestingly, more recent scientific studies have shown that these seal mothers and their pups can recognize one another's voice after only two hours from birth. One particular pup in this study recognized the playback of his mother's recorded voice after having heard it only one time. This signifies to scientists that the pups begin learning their mother's voice while in the womb. The incredible thing Roger points out in this story is that this is how it is with God. Just as these seals are imprinted with one another's sound and scent from the very beginning, we are imprinted with the memory of God, and God is imprinted with the memory of us. And even if it takes a lifetime, we will find each other. Our text from Matthew describes the start of Jesus' public ministry. He's been baptized by John, returned from the wilderness, and now we see him calling his first disciples along the Sea of Galilee. The four men, all fishermen were hard at work when Matthew says that they immediately left what they were doing and followed Jesus. Matthew doesn't explain this any further, though a different telling in the Gospel of John adds a little bit more background, and it makes us wonder if these men already knew Jesus. They may have moved in the same circles, had mutual friends. Perhaps Peter, Andrew, James, and John had seen some of the amazing things Jesus was capable of. Perhaps they were just up for an adventure. 
All Matthew shares, however, is that Jesus called out to them, and they immediately responded. Call and response. It is as though they have been waiting all their lives to hear this voice. In ancient times, respectable teachers usually waited for disciples to choose them. Only the most radical sages were known to choose their own disciples. But that's exactly what Jesus does here. And again and again, Jesus calls. Disciples respond. Many years ago, I was in Anderson Auditorium at a Montreat Youth Conference with my high school youth group. The keynote speaker shared this gospel story as a group of teenagers dramatically acted out the scene on the stage behind him. And I remember wondering if I could ever be brave enough to step out of the boat, step away from all I knew, all that was comfortable, and really follow. Looking back on those days, I felt a tug toward ministry early on, but I couldn't see why or how God would choose to use someone like me. I wasn't bold or particularly brave. I wouldn't have described myself as a good public speaker or someone who even liked the attention of a crowd. Over time, however, the call grew louder and the tug became more like a shove. And like all seminarians, I wondered if I had it in me to truly follow. I hadn't had many female role models in ministry. And as encouraged as I was by others, it's taken time for me to find my voice. It's an ongoing exercise for all pastors, I'm sure, as we grow in maturity and experience. In July of 2009, I was ordained in my home church in South Carolina. The first person to follow me out onto the front lawn after I gave the benediction was our church's pastor emeritus the Reverend Ray White. He was a tall and slim man, and his kind arms enfolded me in a warm embrace. And then he held me at arm's length as he looked in my eyes and he said, God called you, Elizabeth, all of you. So don't try to dress like or preach like or act like anybody else. Be yourself and you will be just fine. I don't think I felt the true gift of those words until I heard them echo around inside me year after year. These were just the words I needed to carry with me as I approached a hospital bedside, a pulpit, a committee meeting. And these are just the words that helped crack open Jesus' calls to these first disciples for me in a new way. Because when Jesus called Simon, Andrew, James, and John, he did not invite them to abandon who they were. He invited them to become their most authentic selves. He invited them to live into the fullness of the Imago Dei, the image of God that they were born with from the start. Jesus' invitation to these disciples was specific and particular. They were fishermen. He invites them to become fishers of men. What metaphor would make more sense to four fishermen than the metaphor of fishing for people? Jesus knew them. He knew them inside and out, 
and he called them just as they were to come and follow him. When Jesus called these ordinary men, it was not a call to leave behind their intelligence or experience, but a call to bring the best of their core selves forward, to become even more fully and freely themselves. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. In this line, there's an invitation into a different kind of community. These men are invited to be citizens of a different kind of reign, and their presence in this new reign matters. I will make you fish for people. is indicative of how different this community is going to be and what defines it. It's not, I will make you fish for the right kind of people, or I will make you fish for perfect people. In choosing to follow, these fishermen are choosing to be, to live in a different kind of kingdom. As fishermen in a first century Roman occupied state, they would have purchased a lease or a contract with Rome's agents that allowed them to fish and would have obligated them to supply a certain quantity of fish. So by choosing to follow Jesus, they're choosing God's rule over Rome's rule. They choose to fish their land and people in it for God's purpose, rather than exploiting them for Rome's gain. Jesus wants them to catch people for God's rule, a rule that is full of mercy and justice and plenty. In deciding to follow him, these men choose to make their home in God's kingdom. It's like there are two kingdoms, really, and we can choose to live in the empire or we can choose to make our home, find our way, furthering God's reign. Often when we think of calling, we think of these first disciples and all they gave up. Two left their father, all leaving behind their livelihoods. Or perhaps when you think of calling, you might picture a priest or a pastor. It's easy to look at someone in a robe and a stole or a clerical collar and assume they're recognizing a call. But a call is not always so obvious. I bet a lot of people have a hard time seeing a direct connection between what they do for a living and what they believe. But I believe calling is less about what we do and more about who we are. God's call isn't to simply do something, but to be something. And the call to follow Jesus is not the same for all of us. When we are called to follow Jesus, more often than not, it is with the unique particularity of our lives. God knows our backgrounds, our skills, our educations, our memories. Maybe this is what made it possible for John the Baptist to proclaim the coming Messiah, because he knew that God called him to be the forerunner, whatever that might mean. Maybe this is what summoned the immediate response in Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They felt called to be more. They most likely have no idea what being fishers of people exactly means. But they know that Jesus is speaking to something deep within them. They have no real idea of what Jesus is calling them to do. But perhaps they know who Jesus is calling them to be. The disciples' immediate acceptance of Jesus' invitation is dramatic. Occasionally, 
we too stand at a fork in the road. We have moments when we act in ways we cannot understand. Some people have an extraordinary extraordinary moment when they decide to become a social worker who looks out for the vulnerable, or a teacher who makes a difference, or an attorney who makes the world a little more just. Some men and women live heroic and astonishing lives because of their faith. But most of the time, our call is not all that dramatic. We don't often drop everything and start a new life. I think that perhaps our calling as disciples is less about what we do, meaning our vocation or about our occupation, and more about who we are. Because God isn't calling us just to do something, but rather to be something. Jesus issues the same call to us, to be in genuine relationships with the people around us, and to be in those relationships the the way Jesus was and is. The call is in bearing one another's burdens, caring for the sick and vulnerable, looking out for our neighbor, standing by the persecuted and the downtrodden, always with the hope and promise of God's grace. Sometimes that call will take us far away from home, and sometimes it will take shape right where we are planted. We can trust that the one who calls us knows us by name. He would recognize us anywhere. He made us just as we are. He loves us and calls us anyway. Jesus' invitation to follow is good news. There must be something in his voice, something in that tug. He calls to us. May we respond. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.